the strong man armed by Benjamin Keach. Else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Matthew 12, verse 29. Thus Matthew. Mark also has the same parable. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Mark 3:57. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. Luke 11:21 and 22. The evangelist Luke seems to speak more fully and distinctly to this parable than either Matthew or Mark, though all agree in substance and speak the same things, and so also as to the occasion or reason of it, which we shall first briefly open, and in order to this consider that the Pharisees charged our blessed Lord with casting out devils by the prince of the devils, after he had dispossessed one with a devil who was both blind and dumb, who immediately both saw and spake. Matthew 12.22 But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Verse 24 and Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. Verse 5 And if Satan cast out Satan, how then shall his kingdom stand? Verse 26 But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Verse 28 And then he adds, or else, how can one? And so on. So that, number one, the occasion of these words, or the scope of the parable, was to convince them that he by the power of God did cast out devils, or by the power of his glorious deity. Number two, to discover and detest their most horrid blasphemy in saying he cast out devils by Beelzebub, and so on, which he first doth by the parable of a kingdom divided against itself, which I propose to speak to afterwards. The devils are not divided. They agree and unite in upholding their kingdom, and did they oppose one another, or not agree among themselves, their kingdom, our Lord shows, would fall or come to desolation, like as a kingdom, city, or house, if it is divided, would do. But further, to convince them that what he did in casting out devils was done by the Spirit of God, he brings in this parable also and that thereby he might manifest their detestable evil and make it appear that he was a true Messiah and God over all, blessed forevermore. For who but the mighty God hath power over the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2, or the God of this world? He therefore that can subdue Satan, bind Satan, and throw him out of his palace must be one stronger than he, which none is but God only. For the devil will never yield up his stronghold as long as he is able to hold it. There is no way to dispossess him but by force or power. Will any man consent or willingly yield up to his enemy his palace, his goods, his power, kingdom, and all he hath? 
know certainly. If he could prevent it, he would do it, and so would Satan also. And this is the chief thing our Savior discovers and makes appear by both these parables. Secondly, we will consider the parts hereof. Else, quote, how can one enter into a strong man's house? Luke calls it a palace. By the house or palace here is meant a poor sinner, not his soul only, but his body also, but chiefly his soul. A strong man's house. Satan is the strong man, and sometimes he possesseth both the body and soul of a sinner, though the body is not under his power, but by the special permission of God, nor does he so universally possess the bodies of sinners as he doth their souls, by his power, craft, devices, temptations, suggestions, and diabolical influences, who ruleth or worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2 verse 2, that is, in the them all universally. One enter, that is, any one that is opposite to him, one that is his enemy, with a design and purpose to dispossess him, bind him, and throw him out of his stronghold, and take possession of his palace or habitation. The meaning of our Savior is, How can I enter by my spirit and power into the house or palace of the devil? in other words, into the heart of a sinner, if I do not first destroy or spoil Satan of all that power he hath in such a poor creature, or bind and throw him out, or I must subdue Satan if I either dispossess him of the body or soul of a sinner. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, Satan is armed, and he must be disarmed before he can be overcome. Wherein he trusteth, the devil trusteth in his armor. But when Christ, who is the stronger than he, comes, he takes from him all his armor, and makes him know his armor is not sufficient to defend him from the almighty power of the Son of God. From whence we may note one or two propositions. Number one, that the heart of a sinner is the house or palace of the devil. Number two, that the devil is a strong and formidable enemy, dreadful and terrible, and yet, number three, must be subdued, and his power destroyed in a sinner that is converted, which none can do but the Lord Jesus Christ only, who is stronger than he. I shall speak briefly to both of these. The body sometimes, and the soul always, of an unconverted sinner, is a palace inhabitation of Satan. But before I proceed, let me lay down one or two explanatory propositions by way of premise. The devil hath no just or lawful right to this house, neither to dwell in the body nor the soul of any sinner. No, but it is wholly by fraud and usurpation he got in and rules there. The devil could not by force take possession of the sinner's heart, but he gets in by craft and subtlety. This way our first parents gave him originally the possession of the hearts of all men. Secondly, to prove that the heart of a sinner is a house or palace of Satan. Our Lord calls it the strong man's house, true. God only hath the just right to every man and woman in the world. All souls are mine, saith the Lord. But God left man at first to keep this house, I mean his soul, 
for him, that is, for his praise and glory, and gave such strength to man that he might have kept possession, his faculties being true, strong, and uncorrupted at first, they were like so many valiant soldiers that Satan could not by open force conquer, the will being able to resist a whole infernal lake of hellish fins. But by subtlety the enemy prevailed, and the will consented, as Paul shows, the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety. 2 Corinthians 11.3 And the will complying, all the faculties or powers of the soul were overcome, and so the devil entered and made it his palace or chief dwelling place. A palace of a prince is commonly well fortified when it is in the midst of enemies. So Satan hath fortified his palace with a high wall on one side, called presumption, which seems to be as high as heaven, and on the other side with a deep ditch called despair, lest grace should assault him. And by this means he secures his palace and dwells there for a long time in peace. And though the word of God seems to batter the high wall, yet it is common operations can make no great breach in it on that side, nor fill up the ditch on the other. And let me tell you, the devil hath not stronger fortifications than these two. A palace is a place of a prince's chief residence, and where he keeps his court and hath his attendance, so Satan's chief residence is in the heart of an unregenerate sinner, and there he keeps his court and hath all the depraved faculties of the soul, and lusts of the eyes, and lusts of the flesh, and pride of life, to attend upon him, and who readily submit to his commands or cursed suggestions. He goeth to and fro in the earth, and walk up and down in it, and is the prince of the power of the air. But there he finds no rest, no, the heart of an ungodly sinner is his dwelling place, that is, his palace, where he lodgeth and delights to be. He goes from one place to another, not as an idle peripatetic, or one that has nothing to do, no, but as a spy, to see what house is empty, that so he may get in and dwell there. For the devil has many palaces, yea, thousands of thousands, so that he is no smaller petty king. In his walks also he curiously observes, and pries into every person's temper, into all families, nations, and churches, to see what advantages he can get over them, and set them together by the ears. For he strives to do all the mischief he can to kingdoms, churches, families, and particular persons. A prince can go in and out of his palace at his pleasure, so Satan sometimes is an unclean and filthy devil, a black and debauched devil, goes out of his house or palace, or out of a man, as our Lord shows, and lets it be swept and garnished. But if it be empty, in other words, if Christ dwells not there, he says, I will return to my house from whence I came, nay, and brings other spirits with him also, though not debauched devils, yet worse evil spirits. And there afresh he takes up his habitation and dwells, though the man perhaps thinks he has a better prince dwelling with him. Number 5. A palace of a prince commonly is painted, adorned, and made a place of delight suiting his spirit. 
so the heart of every sinner the devil makes fit and pleasant to him, suiting to his odious and unclean spirit, nature and temper. Nay, and some sinners' hearts are garnished and richly painted with moral virtue and seeming holiness, which pleases Satan very well, as a white devil, when he can cause them to rest in or trust to mere acts of morality and external holiness. He can transform himself from a swearing devil, a blaspheming devil, into a religious devil, a praying devil. For such a painted palace were the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees, which were swept and garnished, as in the next place and speaking to another parable I shall show. In a house or palace of a prince are many lodging rooms both for repose and security. So in the sinner's heart the devil hath several rooms to repose himself in, and are also as places of security to him against danger, which are the corrupt faculties of the soul, as a rebellious and obstinate will, depraved judgment, the misled conscience, a deceitful and traitorous memory, and a carnal and earthly affections. For by the this means he takes, as it were, his quiet repose and remains safe. Number 7. A house or palace hath not many doors by which the prince that dwells therein can enter. So the devil he hath many doors by which he enters into the heart of a sinner, which are the five senses. At the eyes he gets into the heart of unchaste persons and also into the hearts of the covetous. Achan saw a goodly Babylonish garment and a wedge of gold. Joshua 7.1 He saw it with his eyes, and then Satan entered his heart. He coveted ears of others. They are charmed with bewitching music, perhaps at a playhouse or a whorehouse, and there the devil enters. The adulteress was taught by Satan to perfume her bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Proverbs 7.17 The devil knows how to get in at their nostrils by bewitching smells, as well as at the ears by flesh-pleasing melodies. Snared by delicious wines, meats, and other liquors, and abominable delights and pleasures of the flesh, everyone, like pampered horses, neighing after their neighbor's wife. Thirdly, I shall show you what kind of house or palace this strong man's is. It is a most odious and filthy house, prepared and made fit for unclean and filthy spirits to delight in. The heart of a wicked man is alike abominable with the devil in the sight of God, being full of snakes, of vipers, filthy vermin, mire and dirt. For unto such things the filth of sin and unclean spirits are compared. Our Savior likeneth the hearts of the Pharisees to filthy sepulchres, painted without, but within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Matthew twenty three twenty seven. Number 2. It is a house prepared and furnished by the devil, fitted for him to dwell and delight in. And it is also fortified against God and Jesus Christ with all the hellish art, subtlety, and strength the devil hath, 
that all attacks of the word of God, ministers, godly persons, and motions of the good spirit might be ineffectual. The devil helps all the powers of the soul, they being under his influences, to resist all good counsel, reproofs, and persuasions of yielding up their palace to the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, wicked men are true drudges to their hellish master, and are always in arms, and fight against God, and blaspheming his name and all that dwell in heaven. It is the house built upon the brink of hell, and stands in the regions of darkness. And the devil that dwells therein, who pleases those wretched and misled mortals for a time, according to the varieties of their carnal appetites, designs to murder and destroy them, every one, and make them as miserable as himself, and will in a short time, if they meet not with the mighty Jesus, to enter in, and destroy the strong man armed. Their house will be set on fire, and burned to the lowest hell, for the materials with which it is built are fit matter for eternal flames. Application number one. We infer from hence that sinners are woefully blind and misled, and that their state is most deplorable. Secondly, also we from hence infer that it is no wonder that the word of God hath no more effect upon the hearts of sinners, as they are under the power of the prince of darkness. The strong man's arm keeps the house. He hath power over and reign in the hearts of the children of disobedience. Their hearts are fortified against the Lord Jesus Christ. An almighty power must be exerted to subdue Satan, if ever the gospel becomes efficacious to one sinner. But to proceed. The devil is a strong and formidable enemy, dreadful and terrible, and yet must be subdued, and his power be destroyed in a sinner that is converted, which none can do but Jesus Christ only, who is stronger than he. I shall, in speaking to this, show what renders the devil so formidable an enemy. Number two, show why he must be subdued in a sinner that is converted. Number three, show why none but Jesus Christ can subdue Satan. Satan is a dreadful enemy, in respect had to his great strength, called the strong man, and upon the same account he is called a lion, a strong and fierce creature. Should all the men in the whole world combine together to fall upon one single devil, they would be but as so many little babes in the hands of a mighty giant. I mean in respect of their own strength. He is a formidable enemy, considering how at one blow he overcame man before he was depraved or lost that power with which he was created, and also when Satan was but a few days old, and in subduing innocent Adam, a man clothed with mighty strength, he by that one stroke conquered all the world, all the whole race of mankind fell down dead at his feet. Oh, what an enemy is this! If a man, when he was so strong and well-armed, was subdued by him, what can sinners do now, who are become weak and feeble, and also naked, to withstand his force and mighty power? 
The devil is a dreadful adversary, considering what a multitude of evil angels he hath in his army. They are a mighty host, and all closed with great power, though perhaps some of them have greater strength than others, yet all are strong and powerful. They are all angels, though fallen angels. And though they have lost their purity, yet they have not lost their strength. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength. Psalm 103.20 Two things discover their strength. One, their superiority. Number two, their spirituality. Number one, angels are the top of the creation. Man was made a little lower than the angels. Now in the works of creation, the superior, as one notes, hath a power over the inferior, the beast over the grass and herbs, and man over the beast, and angels over man. Number two, the spirituality of their nature as to their power. Man hath a glorious soul, but he is flesh as well as spirit, and his soul is darkened, weakened, and weighed down by a lump of flesh. It is forced to roll with a strength suitable to its weak partner, and sometimes to war against himself, I mean his flesh. Also his fleshly part clouds his understanding, but now angels are all spirit and have no such mixture of matter to encumber them. Their unity renders the devil's dreadful enemies. Our Savior shows us here that they cement together and are not divided. Order and oneness makes their number formidable. Though we cannot say there is love amongst the devils, yet there is unity. They all agree together in carrying on their design against God, Christ, and the souls of men. Whoever heard of any discord, jarrings, or wranglings amongst the devils, they may shame the saints. Shall devils agree to ruin us, and shall not we agree to oppose and counterwork them? The falls of so many brave champions of Satan's assaults render him a dreadful enemy. What mighty men of God hath he worsted, who were strong in grace or well armed? Remember righteous Noah, just Lot, meek Moses, and David, a man after God's own heart, and wise Solomon, and patient Job, and valiant Peter? What can naked and unskillful sinners do if such expert warriors were worsted and fell by him? His courage or fierceness and undoubtedness renders him a formidable enemy. What saint of God was Satan ever afraid to assault? Nay, oftentimes whole churches and spoiled them too, tearing them to pieces. Nay, his courage and undoubtedness appears in his attacking and assaulting the Son of God himself, is also his power in taking up and setting him upon a pinnacle of the temple. What a bold devil is this, and what a sight was there, to see the Son of God carried in the arms of the devil, whom he knew was a Son of God. Nay, and though he was worsted, yet came again upon our Lord. The prince of this world cometh. His implacable malice, hatred, and envy to God and sinners render Satan a very formidable adversary. He is filled full of enmity and is unreconcilable. He will never yield nor submit himself to his enemies. Some men who have received a little of his spirit and nature have been very malicious and hardly unreconcilable, but the devil is all malice, even made up of hatred and envy. Who can stand before envy, saith Solomon? 
if not before an envious man who can stand before an envious and malicious devil who is wholly set upon doing of mischief. Bloodiness and horrid cruelty shows that Satan is a dreadful enemy. Many tyrants have been very cruel, but how bloody-minded and cruel, then, is the devil. All the cruelty that any tyrant and bloody persecutor ever exercised, he was directed to it by the devil, whose servants they were, and still be, who act in malice and cruelty. Number two, what cruelty hath he exercised towards mankind? What ruin hath he brought upon the world and on the souls of men? Number three, how many millions hath he sent by his cursed temptations to hell? How many hundred thousands of godly Christians hath he murdered and caused to be tormented with unhuman cruelty? Number four, but what was all this to his attempting to murder the Son of God himself for the Lord of life and glory? The subtlety of the devil renders him a terrible enemy. Where strength cannot prevail oft times, policy does, and many by craft have done more than could have ever been done by power. Now the devil's subtlety is exceeding great. We, saith Paul, are not ignorant of his devices, but too many there are that perceive them not. We shall labor to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6.11 It was by his craft he overcame our first parents. The serpent by his subtlety beguiled Eve, yea, and Adam too. He hath his wiles to keep sinners from closing with Christ and ruin the ungodly, and he hath his devices also to ensnare, deceive, and ruin, if possible, believers. Observe some of his devices. He chooses the most advantageous seasons to tempt and allure sinners. He manages his temptations in such ways and methods that shows his great subtlety. In his making use of fit instruments to carry on his designs, in respect of the one and the other, he knows how to assault young converts by filling up them with pride and vainglory. He waylays such that fall into great afflictions, causing them to despair, and to think God does not love them, because he afflicts them. He will be sure, if possible, to defame or render odious such as do him the most mischief, as the faithful ministers of the gospel, and spoil the peace of the churches. He observes the weakest place of that fort he designs to attack, and there makes his assaults. Also comes upon poor saints when they are asleep, or off their watch, or in a secure state. He acts sometimes like a black, and yet can appear also as a white devil, or transform himself into an angel of light, Second Corinthians 11.14. He observes every man's natural temper, and suits his temptations accordingly. He sometimes appears as a friend, when his design is to murder and destroy, like a treacherous enemy. He strives to get ill persons into the church, to hinder the peace and increase thereof, and to expose the whole to reproach. He knows how to retreat and leave his house as a debauched black devil, and swept and garnished, with a pain of seeming holiness and outward zeal and piety, if it be but empty of true faith and saving grace, it matters not how zealous men are for outward sanctity if they are in a false way. He will rather promote their external holiness than go about to hinder it. He is not more for discord in the true church than he is for unity in the false. 
In a word, there is not such a politician in the world like to the devil. He knows he cannot force, and therefore he will entice. The devil is a formidable enemy, because he is unweary. He will not be discouraged if he miss ten times in carrying his designs and purpose. Nay, to thousand defeats he will attempt again, hoping to prevail at last. Hence, the apostle gives the saints a needful caution to be vigilant, because of the unweariness and great diligence of their adversary, the devil, who walks about seeking whom he may devour. It is not whom he would, but whom he may. On such God permitted him to devour, though Satan hath worked hard to destroy the souls of sinners near six thousand years, yet he is no more weary than he was when he first began, and therefore is a dreadful enemy. The devil is a formidable adversary, in these last days more than ever, because he has come down in great wrath, knowing his time is but short. Revelations 12, verse 12. Therefore, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. My brethren, though the beginning of this his coming down was many years ago, when he was thrown out of the church as a persecuting devil in the time of Constantine the Great, yet he knowing his time is very short indeed, he is more enraged than ever, and from hence it is that he strives to foment wars and slaughters and kingdoms and nations, and to disturb the churches of Christ with horrid errors and heresies, and to drown the world, that way if he can, and fill Zion also with strife, discord, and contentions, which certainly abound now more than ever. And all of this is but the effect of Satan's rage, malice, and fury. Nay, and we may expect it will every day be worse and worse, as he grows near and nearer the end of his reign and tyranny. Therefore, most dismal times must be looked for. Yea, such temptations and tribulations over the whole world, that never was since the beginning thereof, or since man dwelt upon the earth. And lastly, <laughs> Satan is a dreadful and terrible enemy, because he is on. Armed. Our Savior calls him a strong man armed. His armor may be his great power. He is clothed, as you heard, with power and might, which is such armor that no mere man is able to encounter with him. He is filled also with malice and revenge, which is as armor to him. Moreover, his pride is as a coat of mail. His power creates in him great confidence, and this fills him with pride. As it is said of the Leviathan, his scales are his pride. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. Job 40:19 and 17 Strength, confidence, and pride is a devil's shield, or armor, by which means he is very fierce and undaunted, so that the darts of a sinner unarmed are not regarded by him, but like the Leviathan, darts are counted as stubble, he laugheth at the shaking of the spear. All the weapons of mere creatures unarmed he esteemeth as straw. The wonderful success he hath had and victories obtained is an armor to him, he having conquered millions and subdued the whole world. All nations are become a stubble to his bow and his prey to his teeth.
moreover, utter despair of ever obtaining favor with God, arms him against poor mortals. He knows that he shall have no quarter given to him, no terms of peace offered him forever, and therefore will give no quarter to any he can subdue and overcome. Nothing renders an enemy more fierce and cruel than the thoughts of this. What mischief will not that giant, that tyrant do, that knows he shall have no pity showed him, no pardon, no mercy given to him? And this hardens Satan's heart against God, and his hard heart and final despair is his armor of proof that cannot be pierced. There are no repentings, no relentings, no sorrow in devils, after all the wrongs and mischiefs done to mortals. No, no. Therefore his hardness and despair is as armor that none can touch, but one that is more mighty and more strong than he. Sin also is as armor to him where sin reigns. The devil is armed, a sinful, depraved, hard, rebellious, and an unbelieving heart arms the devil, and makes him irresistible by such mortals in whom sin predominates. And the changing of the heart, of that enmity that is in the carnal mind, tends to disarm the devil, and over such souls he hath but little power." God's law being broken and violated is as a sword in Satan's hand, by which he kills and wounds unto death great multitudes. The devil knows how to use a believer's sword to wound them, and oftentimes doth so. But if the law being broke is called the strength of sin, so it is the armor and strength of Satan also, by which means no man in an unrenewed state can get out of the devil's hands. The devil says to you, do you not see how your God and his law curses you, and for your sins hates you, and how this broken law lays you slain and dead at my foot? Nay, the God that made you hath left you and given you up into my hands, and I have power over you and will dwell, nay, reign in and over you. Do what you can, you cannot, shall not get out of my hand. Therefore, let your hearts take pleasure in sin and all unrighteousness and deny yourselves of nothing that is either sweet, pleasant, or profitable to the flesh. Secondly, I shall show you why Satan must be subdued in a sinner that is converted and his power destroyed in a soul. Number one, because he will not be entreated. There is no persuading the devil to yield up his palace. No, no, he cannot be prevailed by flattery, as some cruel tyrants have been. If Satan be not destroyed and overcome by force, he will hold his own forever. There are no devices against him, or subtle stratagems that any poor sinner can invent to supplant or countermine him. Many a strong and cruel enemy, whom men could not spoil nor destroy by force and power, have been utterly overcome, defeated, and spoiled by policy. But Satan is too great a politician this way to lose his stronghold. Number two, the devil must be subdued in the sinner's heart that is converted, because he hath them all in his chains, and they are his mere slaves and captives. Nay, he takes them captive by him at his will. Second Timothy two twenty six. 
There is not one man nor woman in the world but naturally are the captives of this cruel and merciless devil. He rules in the hearts of all the children of disobedience. Because grace cannot enter into that heart where the devil reigns, nor will, nor indeed can Jesus Christ dwell therein. For wherever Christ dwells, he reigns. Sirs, it is impossible for two princes that are directly opposite in their natures, ends, and designs to reign over one and the same subject. Now thus, sin is contrary to grace. So is grace absolutely contrary unto sin. And as the devil is an unreconcilable enemy of Jesus Christ, or an implacable adversary in his very nature to him, so the pure and holy Jesus hates and abhors Satan. And as the devil seeks to be revenged on Christ, so the Lord Jesus in his whole design seeks to destroy and overcome the devil. Therefore, if grace in Jesus Christ enters into the heart of a sinner, the power and dominion of Satan must be destroyed in him. Thirdly, I shall show you why none but Christ can subdue the devil. When I say none but Christ can, I mean no man in earth is, nor ever was able by any power of his own, or by any power short of, or besides the almighty and irresistible strength of Jesus Christ, could or can do it. Because Satan is set forth in the scripture to be much stronger than man, and more cunning, and being an angel, he exceeds man in wisdom also. But what I have said, and showing what a prince Satan is, fully demonstrates this to be as I say. Because God has laid our help upon Christ only, as being one able and mighty to save sinners, and to the same Christ also came into the world. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, eight. What need was there for Christ to come into the world to this end and purpose, if man had been able to have destroyed the strong enemy Satan? None but Christ can subdue Satan in the sinner's heart, because he that doth this must first bind the strong man armed, and take away also all his armor. And what man on earth can do this? But these things our Lord in this parable positively affirms. Number four, because it is Jesus Christ alone that hath subdued him and broken his head as it was promised to our first parents he should do moreover that broken remaining power that satan has left none but god can destroy god shall bruise satan under your feet shortly he that hath overcome and conquered the devil he only can subdue and destroy him and that is the lord jesus christ number five none but christ can subdue satan because none but he can make an end of sin and destroy death if the works of the devil are not destroyed the devil is not subdued Sin is a grand work of Satan, and death is the wages and punishment of it. Now sin and death none hath nor could destroy but Jesus Christ, and this he has done, and took our nature upon him to this end, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2:14 and 15 where sin remains in its full power, there the devil lives and reigns, and death also triumphs over all such sinners. They are dead in sin and liable to eternal death, and since none can destroy sin and death but Jesus Christ, none but he alone can destroy the devil. 
Number six, none can destroy Satan, but he that destroys and utterly spoils his image and stamps the image of God in the same soul. But this is done by Christ. Can any man utterly deface and spoil the image of Satan in his own soul and form the image of God in himself? What mortal will affirm that? Besides, man lies spiritually dead in sin, naturally even slain at Satan's feet. And what can such dead and lifeless creatures do against a strong man armed? Can they subdue this terrible enemy? Application from hence we may infer that there is cause enough why we should fear the power and malice of Satan, so as not to think he is a small or weak enemy, or fear him so as never to make head against him by any power of our own. Number two, we from hence also may infer that it is no wonder the world is so spoiled, overcome, and blinded by the devil. You hear what a strong and subtle enemy he is. Number three, moreover, we infer from hence that this world is an evil world, a dangerous and perilous world, because it has such a multitude of strange and malicious devils in it, who go up and down and defile all places. Oh, who would desire to live in this world? We live here not only among men, like the devil, but also among devils, amongst multitudes of devils. Oh, admire and praise the holy and ever-blessed God for sending a Savior, such a Savior, such a mighty Savior as Jesus Christ is, into this world. None but a Savior clothed with almighty power could save us from the strong man armed, or subdue and vanquish the devil. And indeed from hence it appears that Jesus Christ is God, because none but the Most High God could destroy Satan, the God of this world. And from hence Christ is able to save all that fly unto him. He is mighty to save, as it is written, until one stronger than he binds the strong man. Is a mere man stronger than Satan, or is any besides the Most High God able to bind Satan and throw him out of his palace? Question. How hath Christ destroyed or conquered the devil? Answer. By death. He by death destroyed death and devils also. Christ subdued Satan in his life. This enemy set upon our Lord, but was utterly put to flight in the combats he had with him. Nay, by a spotless life and painful death, our Lord destroyed sin, the work of the devil, and answered all the demands of the law. Also by his death and resurrection, he spoiled principalities and powers, and made a show of them openly. Colossians 2.15 Number two, by taking from him all his armor, he has spoiled and divested him of all his power, bruising and breaking his head. Sirs, the strong man is wounded. He is a maimed devil now. Jesus Christ hath outdone the devil in wisdom. All Satan's policy in one day was defeated and turned into foolishness. That way he thought to have destroyed our captain and forever have prevented our recovery. He himself, sin and death, and all enemies were subdued. No doubt when Satan had brought Christ under death, to which end he entered into Judas, he thought he had undone our Lord's business and ours also, but thereby he was disarmed of that part of his armor. 
Number three, by destroying a sin and the guilt, power, and punishment of it, our Lord took away the chiefest of all his armor. Number four, by his perfect obedience to the law and by bearing the penalty thereof, which we lay obnoxious unto, he disarmed him of another piece of his armor. Number five, our Lord disarms a strong man by making all Satan's wrath and fury to turn to the good and advantage of the saints, his church and people. Number six, by sending the gospel of gracious revelation thereof, our Savior hath scattered and expelled that darkness which the devil brought upon the world, and thereby discovereth those errors, heresies, idolatries, and superstitions that everywhere abounded therein. He hath brought light and immortality to the light through the gospel, Second Timothy 3.10, so that Satan's craft and cunning is all laid open, and himself utterly vanquished and brought to shame and his kingdom overthrown forever. How does Christ bind a strong man and so spoil his house? Answer, the Lord Christ doth this by entering into the sinner's heart by his spirit. He binds him so that he can make no resistance. Also by restraining Satan or putting him into chains so that he can go no further than our Lord permits him. Also, what hurt soever he has suffered to do to his saints, his church, and people, our Lord makes it turn to their good and for their profit and advantage, whether it be done more immediately by himself in those suggestions and temptations whereby he fixes and troubles the saints, or what he does by his servants and diabolical emissaries. What consolation and comfort is here? Number one, for poor sinners, your strong and cruel enemy, Satan, is overcome. Almighty Jesus has conquered and slain him. The strong man armed is subdued. Your adversary, the devil, is brought down and lies mangled in his blood, as I may so say, at the foot of your blessed Savior. Number two, the chiefest comfort is yours, that are believers. Satan is cast out of your house, a stronger than he hath appeared for your actual relief. Oh, be much in prayer. No, though your own inherent grace may not be enough, yet the grace that is in Christ is. My grace is sufficient for thee. Let our condition be what it will. His grace is sufficient, and his love an everlasting. We are more than conquerors through him that has loved us. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, 
T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.